We're in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're still in verse 13. Let's read it. Until I come, Paul's talking to Timothy, give attention to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Some dispute whether it should be public reading, but as you read the context, if you're going to give attention to exhortation, that's with other people and teaching. So some interpret it as public. And of course, when we find out what Timothy's ministry is, he has to do this for himself also, study and read the scripture and pay attention to what's being said. The reading of scripture they talked about, people forget that mostly he's talking about Old Testament because the New Testament was still being formulated at this time. But many of the people that they're writing to were Jewish converts, so they knew the law. And the law of the Old Testament is valid. The morals, the principles, they were not done away with. What was abolished was the rituals and the ceremonies and all kinds of sacrifices. But the moral precepts of the law always stand. They're the foundation. They're the schoolmaster. And as we said in the last lesson, the Ten Commandments are valid under the law of Christ. If you don't continue in them or not do certain things, you'll not make it into the kingdom. So he's not done away with these things. He's fulfilled them and explained them to us. They're spiritual. Under the O, the people did not have the Spirit of Christ indwelling them like we have in the New Covenant. So God dealt with them at a different level. He required them to do many outward things, many of them probably to keep them busy, keep their mind focused on godly things instead of the world. But now we have Christ in us to help us, and we have the greater privilege than anybody on the Old Testament. We can come to the throne of grace, the Holy of Holies, at any time. We have Christ in us, and we dwell in him. So God is the God of the universe. He is everywhere. He is the fullness of God is everywhere. Wherever God is, all of him is there. We don't go and seek him in an earthly way sometimes. It's spiritual. So when he says, our Father which is in heaven, he's speaking of the principle where everything's done well in heaven. But he's in us. And he's in everyone, even the sinners. He upholds their life. But he's not in them in a covenant relationship. He's only in that family of God are those who are in Christ Jesus. But he upholds all laws and principles So the sinner cannot even breathe and live without the power of God. So as we come into the new covenant, we have the ability to deal with God in a way that they did not. We can approach him with confidence. Sometimes people translate it boldness, but that produces arrogance. When it says you come to the throne of grace, when it says some of them boldness, it really means with assurance that you'll be received. It doesn't speak of pride and arrogance. And some ministers interpret it, these prosperity people, coming in and demanding God to do something because his word says so. There is no place in scripture where it says, come 
to God and let your demands be known. It says, let your requests be known unto the Lord. So when people have that arrogant attitude, I'm a king's kid, they most likely are not a king's kid because that arrogance and pride comes from the devil, doesn't come from the Lord. So he's speaking of the scripture, the foundation, and most of the new is quoting so much of the old. It's building everything because it's still valid. People think, well, I have the New Testament. I don't have to read the old. Well, the New Testament is based and built on the foundation. And it's explained to us that it was a schoolmaster, but now we have the master. We are mature as far as the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have Christ in us. They did not have him in that kind of relationship. And so he dealt with them at a lower level. He winked at much of what they did because he knew they didn't have the power over certain things. So he covered and bypassed and didn't hold them strictly to certain rules because they weren't given the power. But the Christian is held to a higher standard. He has better privileges, but if he rejects the gospel, he will receive a greater punishment. As Hebrews says, how much greater punishment shall you think they shall receive that trample the blood of Christ? He said, if under the law, two witnesses could have you put to death, what do you think is going to happen under the new covenant if you trample Christ, the master, the Lord of the universe? So he's making it plain. Too much is given, uh, much is required. Okay, so the scripture old and new speak much, and what it wants to emphasize in all of its words is that a person must live morally, purely, and in holiness. This is what God demands. He says, be holy, for I am holy. A lot of people look at that. Be perfect as I am. It means be complete in him. And people immediately start to excuse those verses well, he don't really expect me. Well, if you're not holy, you're not in the kingdom of heaven. If you do not work righteousness, John said, he who works righteousness is of God, and he who does not is not of God. And Paul talks about the same thing, and James does. So if the life is not consistent with what's written, all of your mental assent to scripture is vain, and it'll simply be used to judge you, if you think you know more, then you're going to answer for more, okay? So the Word of God, that is to exhort or teach, is the principles of how to live right and follow the Lord, what he's called us to serve in holiness before him. Because Hebrews says, without holiness, no man should see the Lord. He wasn't talking about the righteousness just of Christ, or I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. You're not seated with Christ in heavenly places if you're living in adultery or fornication, or if you're a liar, you're lying to yourself. So he said the chastening of the Lord produces holiness. It means it causes the person to consider what he's doing, the Christian, and to stop his sinning. And if he stops his sinning and gets right with the Lord, he's abiding in practical holiness. So righteousness 
must work itself out as holiness. For without holiness, no man will see the Lord. So people can claim all of their doctrines and all of the experiences, but the Word of God makes it very plain. If you don't follow the Lord and live righteously in Christ and do good spiritual works and are holy, you'll not make it into the kingdom. There is no free grace that you can have a license to do as you please. There's no such teaching in Scripture. Uh, those who are led by demons and false teachers teach these things. There is no once saved, always saved. There is no irresistible grace. Man is always accountable to what he does before he's saved and after he's saved. And he always has will and choices to yield to what he wants to. He can yield to the Lord. He can yield to his own nature and the devil. He does as he pleases. And that's why temptation still tests us. And that's why we still have warfare. And we fight the flesh, the world, and the devil as we walk in this probation, this pilgrimage. It's a life that has to be proven and overcome. And people must be faithful before they'll be getting eternal life permanently. Eternal life is as we follow the Lord. It is not permanent until we cross over, okay? So the teaching is the foundation, basically. The exhorting is to stir people up. Uh, it's the preaching. But teaching is the foundation of all ministries and gifts, basically. All of them are sort of vain, or they're not lasting. Many gifts will be done away in the kingdom. The word of God will endure forever. His principles of what he says. So all Christians should be able to teach the gospel and scripture to a sinner if they ask. When he's mature, he should know scripture. He should be able to help babes and novices to mature. But all mature Christians are not called to public ministry or public teaching. But Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says you ought to be teachers by now. All mature Christians should be able to teach the word one-on-one -on -one and share its principles and what it means to anybody. And if they've so-called been in the Lord for 10 or 15 years and they can't do that, they need to examine their walk with the Lord, whether they are really a Christian or whether they've got some kind of false religion, because the Lord doesn't have retarded children. They're not spiritually retarded. He does not have grandchildren. If people do not progress after a few years spiritually, they got the wrong gospel, or they're disobeying the Lord somewhere. But they're not going to be going to a gathering for 20 years and not know the basics of Christianity their heart is not right, and they're not pursuing God. And the Lord said, if you pursue him with all your heart, well, if people are not serious with the Lord, he isn't serious with them and giving them anything. So we need to understand the principles of the kingdom. And there's some good principles, and there's some negative ones. And so those who don't want to seek the Lord, they will not get much from God. And sometimes he will withdraw the truth from these people. So we need to have a proper fear and respect of the Lord and not insult the spirit of grace. So exhortation, 
proclaiming and preaching the word, its main duty or purpose is to stir up the mind and the will. Often this is so much a part of a true evangelist's ministry. It's to provoke and convict, disturb. And people usually react in an emotional way to this. But it alone will not move a person. All of this is to move the will. And the will can do as it pleases. So it's to encourage it. It's to, but the action of the will is within the power of the person. And it's not overwhelmed by God. But conviction disturbs and gives the truth. But many people and most people that come under conviction of sin do not turn to the Lord. They resist it. And it's going to get darker and darker as this age comes to an end. Okay. So as they preached and proclaimed, the early apostles and prophets did this in many ways. We still can have those ministries, but they're getting weaker and weaker. And the cities on the hell's light, the church is going out and it's getting darker and it's going to be as the days of Lot and Noah, which means there was only a few people. So it's going to be up to the candlesticks, the individual Christian, to stay with the Lord and do what he can do and what the Spirit leads him to do. So all five-fold ministries, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers must be sound in God's word. They must be able to teach it, and then when they do this properly and they follow the Lord in their personal life, God will give inspiration and prophecy. He inspires. One uh, plants, and one waters, but God gives the increase. But we all play our part. We all have our duties to God, and Christ is in all, and he helps all the Christians to fulfill their ministries. So this is what we need to understand. Exhortation and teaching often are for comfort, to encourage. We call it preaching, proclaiming. It's to reprove. It's to instruct and move people to action. So it's often found uh, with teaching if you're giving it to somebody else. Now, if you're reading scripture and studying yourself, you're basically absorbing instruction. But if you're sharing with other Christians, you're teaching and exhorting. And the spirit, where two or three are gathered, he can move more deeply than he can just with the individual. He set the body of Christ up for that. But when there's places where the Christian does not have that fellowship, or he's being persecuted, or he's in prison, then God gives more grace, whatever comes against him. But he will not excuse those who have abilities and have gifts available to them, and they don't use it, or they think they're self-sufficient. This will not work. So the systematic teaching of God's word is instruction. The law instructs us, the old and the new. It simply means it's telling us the facts. It's giving us knowledge. As someone said, knowledge tells you what it means. Wisdom tells you what to do with it. So you can have knowledge, but without wisdom, it's sort of useless. Now, Jesus 
taught many of the parables, and then he asked the disciples, have you understood what I've told you? And they said, yeah. Well, he said, well, happy are you if you do it. So he emphasized, and then he gave the last parable in that section. If you, you're building on the sand, if you hear God's word and you don't put it into practice, your spiritual house will fall. So in other words, it's vain. It doesn't do a bit of good. But he said, if you practice it and do it, then when the storm comes in the flood and beats against your spiritual house, you'll be standing when the storm's over. So hearing the word and teaching and systematic instruction will avail you nothing if you're not going to practice it, if you're not going to do it. So there are many who are very knowledgeable. The Corinthians were getting that way. The knowledge was puffing them up, but they were missing the fruit of the Spirit. They were containing with each other, envy and jealous. So that knowledge of the Word didn't do them a bit of good because they weren't practicing it. And Paul reproved them for that. So the intellectual knowledge of God's Word can produce pride. People think they, oh, because I know, oh, I've had many people, well, I went to seminary. I said, but you're a false shepherd. I've shocked a few of them. I said, well, you went there, but you didn't learn nothing. You got a bunch of head knowledge. You got whatever your denomination thought was important, but your denomination office is off and preaches false doctrine. Well, see, they don't. They think because they learn this and that. They're smarter than everybody else. It produced pride, but no life. And the Lord blocks the truth from them. Jesus said, I thank you, Lord of heaven and earth. You hid these things from the wise, the intellectual, but you reveal them to the simple. See, because the simple were open to practice and do what they were told. The Pharisees and the scribes were not. And so the Father hid the truth from them. And the simple people recognized Jesus as who he was and who he wanted to present himself. But he told the Pharisees and the scribes, you'll die in your sins because you don't know me and you don't believe who I am. And yet they were supposed to know the law and the prophets. And they considered themselves more brilliant and holy than anybody else. And eventually that's why the Lord rejected them. They didn't produce any fruit of what they were supposed to before God. So systematic teaching basically is instruction. So we study the word for knowledge. We have to have knowledge and instruction. And again, with the knowledge, we pray for wisdom. And if you don't pray for wisdom and knowledge, you won't get much. You'll get an intellectual, mental picture of things. But Paul in Ephesians prayed. He said, I pray God gives you the spirit of wisdom and understanding. So until he helps a person in that, their knowledge of the scripture is vain. It's not going to help them. He's not going to inspire it. He's not going to use it even for them because it's a spiritual thing. So a sinner cannot study the Bible and all of a sudden he's a fine Christian. Unless the spirit moves and enlightens the word and does something to his spirit, it's all head knowledge. It does not produce spiritual life. That only comes through the Holy Spirit and people yielding to his will at whatever level they are. So exhortation moves. It makes the word, the systematic, the instruction of the knowledge of the word, it gives it life. It stirs it up. It stirs the will 
to action. It wants the will to act. And sometimes the emotions are moved by the Word of God. But the emotions and moods in themselves produce nothing. Ultimately, the will must act on these feelings. So people that come under conviction, they come under great disturbance, and the emotions are very disturbed. They can feel guilty and lost, and they'll see they need a Savior, and they can get fear. And the Holy Spirit intends this to stir them up to the seriousness of the state that they're in, a lost state, and then show them that Christ is the answer. But again, they have to yield their will. And so you can hear the gospel, and many people that have heard the gospel under inspiration and the movement of the Spirit, most of them do not receive it. So they have the will to yield or not to yield. God holds us responsible as humans for what we do with our will, and therefore we can be brought into judgment because we made decisions that we're going to be judged by. We are held accountable for what we do with our will and who we yield to and what we yield to. We give an account to this. So exhortation is good because it wants to stir the will to action. It's not mere passive information. Instruction of the word and study can be passive. It enlightens the brain. It gives us knowledge. And then the Spirit, if we're walking with the Lord, He wants us to apply this spiritually, and He gives us insight and wisdom that we see things. And as we go on with the Lord, we see things more deeply and clearly that maybe we didn't see in the early part of our Christian life. We could only see the milk of the Word. But as we grow and do the will of the Lord and obey Him, then He gives more grace and more practical knowledge of what his word means. So exhortation is also, we could say, is preaching. It gives the passive word of God the how-to. It encourages action on scripture. So Christianity and God's word that is passive does not produce life. Hearing does not produce life. It gives you the ability to choose and make decisions. But it only becomes active if you put it to practice and do what the Lord tells you to do. So unless our Christianity is active, it's useless. So most people of the world that claim to be Christians have passive Christianity. And the Lord will say, I never knew you, because they were never his. They said, Lord, Lord, and they believed he was the Son of God, but they did not obey him. They did not follow him. They lived their own lives and wanted to mix a little religion with it. Uh But see, because they didn't rightly handle the word or they didn't come to the word properly, they only wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. Well, that person's going to be deceived. So again, when we say instruction or facts, Uh, We need facts and knowledge of the truth. So that's why we study the scripture. Jesus told the apostles and disciples, he said, when the spirit comes, he will guide you. He will bring to remembrance what I've taught you. So many things he taught them, they didn't put it together, but they remembered it. And then when he resurrected and the spirit came, he explained it to them and they understood it. 
But unless they had the facts of knowledge in their head, it had been very difficult to tell them what's going on. So it's important that we study and labor in the Word of God because the Word of God deals with our conscience. And our conscience can be deceived, enlightened, but it's the main uh, part of our inner law that the Holy Spirit deals with. When a person's saved, the Spirit's dealing with their conscience. So the conscience is a part of the human spirit, and it can be disturbed, it's in a law, but it can be deceived and hardened because it belongs to the human spirit. But he wants it to be enlightened, and as the conscience is enlightened, we can acquire more spiritual understanding of what we can do, what we can't do, what liberties we have, and what things we can't do. And the Lord does this with each Christian as they grow up in the spiritual way. All the basic morals of the word and the commandments are sure. But to be spiritually mature, we have to learn to discern between good and evil. So that's why certain baby Christians, the Lord's spirit bothers them and will not let them do things that other Christians can because they may have a problem, and that may be in their past besetting sins, and another Christian may have no problem with that. Some people have no problem with drinking, so they can drink a wine or something without getting drunk. Other people, because of their past, they can't, and it's sin for them to do it, and the Spirit's protecting them. But as you get liberty and grow, you begin to see the Spirit what he allows and what he doesn't allow. That's maturing in the Lord. And so we need these facts to make decisions, okay? Now, it's interesting. Mental assent to Scripture is basically useless if it's not put to action. And that's what most people are going to find out that don't know the Lord and claim to be Christian. When the Lord tells them, I never knew you, they go claim all these things we did, we did. But he said, you were lawless. You, you did not do the will of my father. So you served God, these people, and these professing Christians, and they did it on their terms. But he called them wicked. Lawless means you didn't submit to me. You didn't follow me. And then he says, you're cursed of my father. I never knew you. And yet that's going to be basically almost 2 billion people that are in Christendom, but they're not real Christians. Hebrews, exhortation is very important. When we go and read this, you can read the book of Hebrews about an hour or so. I've done it. And just to read it, but to study it, you have to slow down. But it says in chapter 13 at the end, verse 22, and I appeal to you, brethren, to bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. This hour or more of the book of Hebrews, Paul is calling a short exhortation. Well, people think an hour. In the early church, the Christian gathered, and they spent hours together formulating the foundation. Nowadays, a person cannot listen to an exhortation more than 15 or 20 minutes. And then we wonder why he's not spiritual. 
Because if he's not seeking the Lord on his own and studying scripture, he's not going to get anything in 10 or 15 minutes. If that's all the time he can give the Lord, the Lord's not that interested. Okay, He does not take people on their terms. He takes them on his terms. And if they claim to be Christians, they got to get their priorities right. So they get tired of the word uh, in 10 or 15 minutes. And so now you know why they cannot be very spiritual. The Holy Spirit brings to remembrance his words. So as we study scripture and try to apply it, his spirit will eventually instruct us what to emphasize, what to be careful with. He discerns these things for us. The Spirit is the helper. He comes along and helps us. It is the Spirit of Christ. So if we have these words and we study them and remember them, then he can use it, the Spirit of Christ, to stir, to comfort, to correct, to encourage and instruct, which again is teaching, based on teaching. If one does not study the word, what is the Spirit going to use to bring spiritual life and insight? See, they're expecting him to do something he can't do. I remember one time many, many years ago when I was doing counseling, a woman called me and they asked for prayer and we're supposed to pray with them and counsel them. And she said, "Uh, I'm a Christian. I said, okay. And she said, I want you to pray. I have a nurse's test to do. And I want you to pray that I'll pass it. Well, simple me, I simply said, well, have you studied for it? And she said, well, no. And I was sort of, I thought that for a minute. I said, oh, and before I realized what came out of my mouth, I said, in other words, you want the Lord to cheat for you. And she got indignant. And she said, well, I expected a God to do a man. I said, if you ain't studied, why would God cheat for you? How can he bring to remembrance what you've not studied? He's not going to give you a miracle of information because you're lazy. Click. I said, well, she'll remember that. But that's how people are. They think that's what a miracle. No, a miracle does not go against God's principles. He doesn't lie and cheat for people. And people need to understand his character. And that's why many of them don't get anything from the Lord. They only pray when they're in dire need. And most of their praying is selfish and wicked. And they can't see that because they're not spiritual. They're not saved, many of them. Okay, So the Spirit can only bring to remembrance what our mind and conscience has read and studied. That's why it's important for beginners to labor in the Word. They don't need to be out ministering. They're not called to minister. People do not have ministerial gifts that just get saved. You, to have a ministerial gift of any sort, you have to be mature. You have to be accountable to the Lord. You have to be able to deal with the devil and the world and discern these things. And if you don't, you don't need to be out parroting the word of God and you don't even know what it really means. That's mere foolishness, okay? So one must study the word of God. Hebrews 11.6, it says he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This means seriously and wholeheartedly. Well, that nullifies most people, doesn't it? And most professing Christians. 
They don't labor and study. They give God's word five minutes a day. They read some little devotional and think that's going to make them spiritual. Uh-uh, it's a life thing. Uh-huh. And they wonder why they don't know much. Well, God doesn't have much to work on. And they don't diligently seek him. So if people are not serious to the Lord, he's not serious with them. And he won't give them things. People just think he's waiting to give everybody. He's not. Uh-huh. Jeremiah 33.3 says, And you call and seek him with all your heart, you'll be found of him. So the old and new says you have to put everything into this. Well, most people don't. And then they wonder why they don't get anything from God. They wonder why God don't talk to them. Well, it's a wonder he, he even looks at them. So they've been taught wrong. They've been taught wrong things. See? There's no fear of the Lord today. There's no understanding. They only seek God when they want something. Otherwise, they forget him. In the Old Testament, God says something very plainly. He said, he'll turn into hell all of those forget me. See, because everybody has their duty to God, and they're going to answer to him. And if they're living their own life and doing their own thing, uh, they're not going to make it into the kingdom of God. Okay, I know people often say, and when I talk to people, well, you repeat much, and you say things again and again. And I thought, well, you know, all the words of Christ can be read in about an hour and a half or less. Depends on how good a reader you are. The epistles repeat much. The parables of Christ's words were repeated by four different gospels, and each one was slightly different, okay? And it came at it at different angles. Christ repeated much of the same words in each town, each city, each district he went to. He didn't come up with something new in each city. Like I say, all the words we have recorded of him can be read in an hour and a half or so. Uh huh. And yet we can spend a lifetime studying what he said, and the Spirit reveals these things. So he isn't into knowledge for knowledge's sake. 39 to 40 parables. You read what he's talking about in the parables. One-fourth of them have to do with hell and judgment and God coming against the evildoers. One-fourth of them. Uh It's been presented that 60% of the whole Bible is encouraging people to stay with God and not turn away from him, for judgment will follow. They say 40% of the epistles deal with correction, reproof, rebuke. Punishment. Uh-huh. Well, people don't like those parts. They just want, I've had people tell me, I don't want to hear a good word. I said, well, you'll never get anything from God because you won't deal with your bad. I only want a positive word. Well, it ain't going to work. You can have all the positive word in the world, but if you're not living right before the Lord, it ain't going to do you a bit of good and you'll believe lies and be damned. Okay? Now, when we go in, Christ repeated much of his word constantly to each area that he went to for three and a half years. Now, you read the hour and a half of what Jesus said in red print, and he kept teaching on those things for three and a half years, okay? He didn't come up with new stuff just to tickle their ear. People want knowledge, like the Corinthians, but like Paul say, knowledge puffs up. You get knowledge, 
and you don't obey it, then you want more knowledge. God isn't into that. That's a carnal mind. That's the pride of life. And it said the Father's not in that. Okay. Second Peter 1. We've been there many times. 12 through 15. Therefore, I will not be negligent to remind you always. Peter was always reminding them of the same things he was teaching. He didn't come up with new stuff. He didn't read a, he didn't make a three volumes or eight volumes of books, like many of these ministers seem to do. He said, always of these things that he's taught, uh-huh, that you will know them and they are established in the present truth. And so what I've given you, you're up on and you keep and you remember. And that's good. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this body, he's going to be putting it off soon, to stir you up by reminding you, stirring you up. I'm exhorting you. I'm giving you an exhortation here to remind you. He said, I already know you know these things. See, he wasn't always giving them new things, okay? That's for a beginner, okay? For I know I must shortly put off my body, just as the Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. And moreover, to add to all of this, I will be careful to ensure that you always, he uses that word again, have a reminder of these things after my decease. Well, we have his epistles, his two epistles. And again, they can be read in a short amount of time. But he's saying, I'm going to do this consistently. So when people are always looking for something new, carnal knowledge produces nothing. People that are brilliant in carnal knowledge, even of the Bible, they're not spiritual. Okay, let's take a break now.